Activist theology is built on the power of story. And we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help us build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness. And we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. Hi, y'all. This is Reverend Anna Galladay, and we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for us to get our hands dirty. We're ready. Are you? Are you? Are you? Well, hello, everybody. Hi, Dr. Robin. Hey there. How are you? Oh my gosh, I'm so good. This is officially the first episode of the Activist Theology Podcast. We're really doing this. This is, we're doing it. We're doing it. And, and it's going to be live. Like people are going to be listening to it very soon. Yeah. I mean, our whole hope for this podcast is that we record this on a weekly basis. We're going to try to only record it a few days before you all get your hands on it so that the content is real and up to date. I mean, as, as up to date as we can make it, of course. Um, yep, yep. yeah, yeah. So, th- so this is it. So, w- but, but before we dive in to what's happening in the world, and before we get too far down the road of what what we want to do on the Activist Theology Project, we really thought it'd be a good idea for our listeners to get to know us. And people can always refer back to this first episode as the place, the beginning, the story of who we are and how we came to be, how you came to be my work wife. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that this is going to be a little bit of us telling about ourselves and a little bit of this telling on each other. I mean, if, if this is Spill, anywhere, spilling if, the tea. If this is anywhere near the way we normally introduce each other. Right, right. And so normally we get to do this at Wild Goose and we have a live audience and it's a lot of fun and we really get a, I mean, I really have a good time poking fun at you, and I know that you have a good time poking fun at me because you 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 know the tea about me. I do, I do. I know a lot of stuff, y'all. But we're not gonna we're not gonna tell everything. Well, maybe you aren't. <laughs> okay, so do you want to tell the people how we met in Atlanta, Georgia? <laughs> this is a funny story, Robin. Yeah, I would love to tell the people how we met. So, uh, Dr. Robin and I met in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, a few years ago. And when I walked up and said hello and said, you know, I, it's good to see you again. Um, they looked at me as if I had about 18 heads and I was confused and, you know, said, you know, again, you know, my name is Anna and they really had no idea who I was. And so I said, oh, you know, we've met at the Wild Goose a couple of times. We've been in some similar spaces together. And it became extremely evident to me that Dr. Robin um, absolutely didn't remember me, had no idea who I was. This was the third official time that we had met. Um, and apparently the third time's a charm because that's the one that actually stuck. So you say this like we have met several times before, but that's literally the only time that I remember meeting you. And I mean, I know that we have been at Wild Goose in the same space, but just being in the same space doesn't mean that, that 
we had been introduced to each other face to face. Hey, Dr. Really? Robin, do you know Anna? Anna, do you know Dr. Robin? Yes, really. Why would I make that up? Well, whatever it was, I think it was the outfit that you were wearing and your hair was looking good in Atlanta when I was there with Monica Coleman. Mm-hmm. And and I was like, it's stuck. And I was like, I need to know this human. Okay. Well, just so you all know in the world, um, you know, Dr. Robin will um, would love to meet you um, if they're out and about, but don't expect them to remember you. <laughs> I I mean, so here's the thing. I am so bad. I'm such an introvert, you know, and, and, um, people think that I'm this wildly extroverted person, but, but really, I mean, we've taken a cruise before. You know how I am. I, I know exactly how you are. Yes. You are an introvert. I'm an old man. You are an old I, man. I go to, I go to bed at eight o'clock. I get up at eight o'clock. I like my 12 hours of sleep. I like to sit and drink coffee. I don't like to be bothered. If I can talk to you exclusively on my phone by texting, that is great. And then I don't have to interact with the world. Yes. I'm an intense introvert. The only thing about anything you just said that is remotely similar to me is that I also like to drink coffee. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so we're wildly different. Is, and, and that's really, that's really the story that we tell people is how is. different we are and how we've really created this bridge, this relational bridge to do the work of what we call activist theology, which is rooted in the, the work of social healing. Um, and, and, and that's, a, that's a really beautiful that, such opposites have, have been able to come together to do important work. Yeah, it's really remarkable. I think, I mean, I'm still stunned that we like each other, knowing how different we are from one another. Um, and yet every single time we come back, we come back to this friendship and this kinship and uh, take it to the next level. And um, it's really fun to be doing this with you. I'm super excited. Um, I know we wanted to just take this first episode to let folks know a little bit about ourselves. Um, and I think, yeah. I think that there are a lot of people in the world who have a, a a fair understanding of who you are, um, yeah. and your public persona and, and your writings and, um, the book you just released. Um, but I, I'd like to let folks know a little bit about me. Um, I'll let, you can let folks know anything about you you want to share that you don't think is yeah. uh, already available for public consumption. Um, yeah. and, uh, and we'll see how it goes. So yeah, and then and then when you finish your story, I'm gonna let people know more things about you, so that you they have know the full story. So they have the full look. This is about telling the full the fullest story we can. It is so that we can do good work in the world. So w- go ahead, let let folks know who you are, and then I'll let folks know who you are. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I uh, as you know, as you know by now, uh, my name is Anna Galladay, and um, I have a couple of different ways that I work in the world, a couple of different things that are important to me and that I find fulfillment in. Um, first and foremost, um, I will say that um, I identify as um, a straight cisgender woman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I am, uh, I am a, a, I'm someone who comes at this work with a high level of privilege. I recognize that from the very beginning. Um, I have been in a lot of spaces in this work of um, progressive and public theology, uh, but the primary one is in my work as a pastor in the United Methodist Church. 
I am a lifelong United Methodist. In fact, I'm a sixth generation United Methodist, uh, having roots really, really far back uh, in the planting of United Methodism here in the United States. And I have served most recently as a pastor uh, in my hometown of Chattanooga, Tennessee. I served two congregations that identified as reconciling. And in the United Methodist Church world, that means that they are open and affirming to LGBTQIA plus folks. And I was the pastor to those two congregations, which gave me a substantial amount of life and love and fulfillment. Um, my time with them ended in February of 2018. I was um, let go from the church by my bishop um, because it was discovered that I had presided over a same-sex wedding um, of two of the congregants from one of my congregations. And so I'm still really involved in the work of the United Methodist Church and working to help change our discipline and get it to a point where we are no longer harming people and no longer complicit in homophobia and transphobia and the institutional racism that the church has been guided by for many years. But I'm no longer serving a local church Um at least not at this point. My hope is that once we get our rules changed, um, I'll be, I'll be back at that work or I'll at least have the opportunity to consider whether I want to go back to that work. I also, uh, work, as Robin said, as the co-director of the Activist Theology Project. Um, and my, favorite or i guess the the the, the side gig uh that that puts a smile on my face is that i am the owner and uh operator of a small female owned business and i make i design and manufacture snarky ass apparel i uh create funny spiritual and jesus and uh, attitude centric sayings. And then I print them on shirts and t-shirts and sweatshirts and tanks and all kinds of things. And that little shop is called bias and bourbon. And I love being sarcastic and then letting people wear my sarcasm on them. Uh, so that's a little bit about me. I, um, currently live in Chattanooga, as I said, and, uh, the one thing you will hear me talk about a lot is, um, the love of my life, which is a four-legged shelter dog whose name is Ruthie Bader, the notorious R.B.G. She's the love of my life. What about you, Robin? So you don't need to, tell anybody. You don't need to say anything else about me. So let's just talk about you. Well, that's not how this works. So the things that I want the folks, the good folks who are listening to know about Anna is that, you know, several years ago when we met in Atlanta and it stuck, um, I was like, this is an interesting person that I should get to know. And through our conversations, you know, we realized how different we were, me being a queer person, trans person, uh, me, me being, um, really radically, um, 
engaged in politics and theology from a philosophical perspective, from an anarchist perspective, and and how different that was to really Anna's work in the institution of the church. Um, and yet we both have this affinity for Jesus and for Christianity and finding finding affinity and finding um, our place together on what we call the bridge um, has been, has been really great. But one of the things that has also been really great is that Anna is this white person who takes power and privilege very seriously. And I think that I, as a white person, Latinx, I talk a lot about power, access, and privilege, but I don't hear a lot of white folks talking about power, access, and privilege. And so I felt like I had finally found a conversation partner who was taking, the, you know, taking the things that I thought were hugely important in order for us to see social change. I felt like that this conversation partner, Anna, was also taking the same things very seriously. And, you know, we found ourselves basically uh, one summer afternoon a couple years ago having um, a vision com- conversation about what do we do with this public work that I'm doing? Because I knew for me that I wasn't interested in being participating in celebrity culture or capitulating to like me being this one person public theologian. What I really believed in was building community. And I really felt like Anna who has come from, you know, like she said, six generations of, of Wesleyan thought, United Methodism, that I really felt like Anna could help be that person, not just a wing person, but a really vital person to help build this vision that I had that I'm calling activist theology that now we've turned into a nonprofit. But, you know, here's this person who takes power and privilege very seriously, takes organizing very seriously. And, you know, I mean, gives me a hard time about going to bed early and getting up early, but, but actually supports me in all of my endeavors. And I, I really didn't feel like, you know, I mean, I spent a lifetime in academia doing graduate work and the PhD and being on faculty and whatnot, but I, I really hadn't felt like I had found a friend who could really embody the vision for the world that I felt like I had coming out of academia until I met Anna. And I, so I, I kind of feel like not only did I gain a colleague, but I gained this remarkable friend who wants to make the world a better place. And oh, Cookie, that's so sweet. I know. Well, I mean, look, I'm a very sweet person. I mean, I'm real salty too, but I think what I, what I, what I, what I want people to know is that you as a white person and me as a white passing person of color, that white people need to be doing this work of talking about power, access, and privilege. Yes. And it, it's not a, it's not an insider conversation. It's a conversation that we need to be having as a community of either white passing people or white people. Um, because if the dominant culture, if we continue to be white serving, we're never going to see social change. Right. And so I feel like, I feel like, 
the, the thing that we have done very well is really come together and think critically about how to do that work. And, you know, I feel like I've gained family because of the work that we're doing. And so, um, I and mean, Anna's going to give me pain in your ass, that kind of family. Right. I mean, Anna's going to give me shit for the rest of my life. I know. But the good thing is, is she takes power access and privilege very seriously. And I know that we're, we're going to be interrogating that for the rest of the right. time that we're in conversation. So I'll be deferential when I give you shit. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Classic. Classic. So, so, so yeah, I want people to know that you are a white person taking this work very seriously and, and, and I never wanted to have a public platform, but because I do, how do I share that public platform and how do we build a larger public platform for more people, more voices, which is why we're going to have guests on the podcast um, because There's the danger of a single narrative. There's some good ones coming up um, because, you know, the danger of a single narrative or the danger of me just having my own podcast or doing my own thing is that not only is it me capitulating to celebrity culture, but it's I am I am grounded in conversation. And 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 so what's really important and what I feel like I've gained in this friendship with Anna is that. We are really able to have a robust conversation to to see the change that we want to see in the world um, and intentionally make it so. Right. And so we, we have some magic together. Uh, we give each other shit and we spill the tea. Um, but rooted in that is this commitment to conversation. And I think, you know, growing up as a Mexican-American and growing up around a lot of different Latin Americans, conversation at the kitchen table was where theology happened. And so I know that one of the, one of the real core values about activist theology and what we're trying to do in this podcast is expand the conversation so that it's not just focused on each other or what we might conjure up as like what we think is important, but really, really root ourselves in a conversation that can create social change. So I just wanted people to know. We could go on and on for days about the things we think are important. I mean, shit. Yes. We have, we have a lot of opinions and we both like to talk. So there's a, you know, there, there will probably be times where we have to give each other like signals to just STFU. Right. Right. Okay, so those are the things that I, those are the things I wanted people to know about you is that how committed you were to ending white serving institutions and white supremacy. Um, and I think that, you know, I mean, folks can learn a lot about me online, you know, but I think the things that folks should know about me is that I'm an intense introvert and I like to be in my, I'm a five on the Enneagram. And so I like to be like in my thoughts, in my interior castle. And I have a cat named Frida, and I just like to sit on the couch with Frida and read my book and not talk to anyone. I was at a party last night, even, and I sat on the couch and watched football on mute while I had my whiskey. And I was perfectly happy. I was so happy. You were also texting me while you were sitting on the couch watching football on mute, drinking your whiskey. Well, yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah that, that's. You were multitasking. 
I was obsessed, but like you were in conversation, but not in spoken conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. But like that's an example of like the perfect scenario for me. TV on mute, phone in hand, texting with some of my besties, being by my being by myself. So listen, y'all, you will hear stories about this epic adventure that Robin and I went on um, earlier or in the middle of last year. But Robin and I decided to go on a cruise together. And it's not just like any normal cruise. Um, we went on a chartered cruise that is actually like a live music boat. So it's almost like a floating music festival in the ocean. And I had been on several of these cruises before and Robin accompanied me on this one. And our normal schedule with one another became real clear <laughs> after day one. Um, I, as a seven, eight wing on the Enneagram, um, uh, want everything to be fun and new and adventuresome. And so we got on the cruise. We hung out for the day. It was nine o'clock. Robin's like, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. I'm like, there's still like three more concerts tonight. What are you doing? They said, yeah, I'm going to go to bed. It's fine. I'll catch up with the bands that I don't get to see tonight. One other time I roll in at, I don't know, 4 a.m. I pour myself into bed Robin gets up at 8 a.m., goes and drinks their coffee, has their breakfast, is already drinking beer by the time I make my way out for lunch at noon. And every single day, we occupied the same space from like noon until nine at night. And then Robin's five took them over. Uh, their introvert took them over. And my seven just, whoo, just went like bananas out Rory. in that ship having so much fun. But but what but what you're not saying is that from eight AM to noon, I was doing some heavy networking with musicians. I know you were. I know and like eating breakfast with the musicians. I mean the ones that got up at 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 eight o'clock with me. Right. But we got we got to become friends with Delta Ray and Who you've uh, heard who you've heard as the intro to our to our podcast. Yep. Delta Ray's been kind enough to let us use their music on this podcast and we're really grateful for that. But the good news is that they'll come on the show at some point and talk about art and revolution and and politics and whatnot, and that's very exciting. But yeah, I do a lot of networking between eight a.m. and noon, and um, it, you know, it's really interesting to to sit. I called it the back porch, sit on the back part of the boat. You could just see the ocean, and I could take in the grandeur. And I, I felt very introspective during those moments, and very much like I'm an artiste. Yeah, I can sit here. And I am an artiste, but that kind of shit drives me crazy. I don't need to sit and it just, you know, have grandeur overtake me. I will see grandeur when I, when I search it out on all the new adventures I'm going to go on. Right. But my adventure every morning was to get my coffee and sit on the back porch of the boat. I mean, I'm also a porch sitter, right? Like that's the other thing that people, I mean, I love to sit and think and whatnot. So I did that a lot in, 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 in addition to my networking. I, I, it's amazing that we like each other. <laughs> it is. It's beautiful. It is. It is. So, um, we are, we're really excited to do this work. I think we are, um, equal parts surprised by the ways in which our relationship has developed over the last few years. Um, and grateful. At least I'm surprised and grateful. I don't know what you are, but. Those are the two ways I describe my 
my, uh, myself at this moment. Um, I think, you know, we recognize real clearly that, or I recognize real clearly, I'm not going to speak for you. I recognize real clearly that, um, the work that I'm driven to do in the world and the, the way I want to manifest the breakdown of my own privilege is really important in the public square. And, you know, we have had instances where we've been in public settings together, um, doing this work. We've had instances where we've been behind the keyboard doing this work. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I'm excited about the ways in which we're going to be able to share with our listeners the ways they can get their hands dirty in this work, um, but also tell stories about ourselves and the work that we've done out in the world. Yeah, I mean, you talk about being surprised and having gratitude. I'm equally surprised because I wasn't trying to collect white people. <laughs> and and you know what what I discovered is you know, Richard Rohr talks about everything belongs. And I had been doing a lot of work around accepting the core, what I call, what I write in the book as the center of my own difference, which is the fact that I'm born of a Mexican mother and a white man. And that whiteness part of me, I'm moving the world as a white person. And, you know, I, I wasn't trying to collect white folks, but all of a sudden, what happened on that fateful summer day is that white folks came together for this visioning conversation and were like, yeah, we want to be committed to this work of activist theology. How do we do this? And, and from that, you know, I know that you had some hesitation on, on sharing the executive directorship with me because of how it would look for a cis white woman being in leadership with a, trans Latinx, you know, but I really felt like you embodied the kind of virtues that we need to do this work in a way that, and you know, you, you make fun about being deferential to me and whatnot, but, but, but you are someone who has an analysis. And I think that what I often find is white folks will say black lives matter, but they don't have an analysis and, and so much of the work that we have been doing is sharing with one another, the analysis that we have, you know, talking about oppression, the ways in which we can start locally building the work. Um, yes, we're on a national platform doing this work, but why it's so important to get our hands dirty in our local networks. And, you know, you had this analysis and, I think that not only that did that surprise me that that you were really smart and you had an analysis, but it, I had gratitude that finally a white person was taking this work seriously and that I didn't have to explain what, what I was doing. You know, you, you just sort of got it. And I think that that's the thing that really carries us is that I don't have to explain. Like when I – you know, we've had numerous conversations around just the lament that I have around what's happening in the world. And I never have to explain that, especially um, as a trans person uh, living in a world of transphobia with with lots of violence against trans bodies. 
that's not something I ever have to explain. You, you just are like there and you're in deep solidarity. And I, you know, that, that to me is a surprise, I think, because I had really gone through this time in, in my PhD program and in my first two years teaching in Berkeley. I mean, you know, this, this, I'm not spill the tea on myself, but I stopped dating white women and I only exclusively dated people of color. And yet you are this white person, this white woman in my life who, who were, who was deeply committed to the work of social justice and social change, but also like there was a healing aspect to our relationship. And I think, I think, so much um of our work i mean the movement i just i just talked with with my co-parent um in in organizing today lisbeth and and lisbeth says you know the movement is killing us um talking about queer people people of color trans people and i think that what i find in our relationship is you were the bomb in gilead and you were this white person who, who offered me healing, relational healing, um, because I had, you know, I just, uh, split up with my longtime partner who was a white woman. I'd stopped dating white women. I'd had some really horrible experiences with white folks. And yet you came along at a time where you were just like, I'm showing up. I'm getting my hands dirty. I'm doing this work. And what came from that is this really beautiful kinship of of now look at us we have a podcast i know now look at us yeah and i think i mean it's you know i i love when you or i'm so i'm grateful when you say things like that because i i know that you know that i'm deep in the work and that i um work every day to try to get a little better in the in this space to try to move a little closer to 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 the to the the space where I feel like I I want and need to be, um, but I also think that you know we are we have we have become really interesting examples of the way that um, we can be with one another in the work and also not be cut from the same cloth. I think so often. Uh, it's really easy for us to align with those who are like us to do work right. that is hard because it is in that alignment with people that are like us that we find the most safety. Um, and there right. is, I, I mean, I bring a massive amount of safety to, to the work just simply because of the pri- my privilege and, and, and the way that I present in the world. But I also am really mindful of the fact that, you know, if we continue, if we silo ourselves and if we find that we only want to work with those who look like us or um, talk like us or, you know, worship like us, we're going to only, we're, we're going to barely scratch the surface on getting the work done within our organizations. We're not even going to have a chance in hell to do work outside of, of that. Right. So right. we, I, I, I hope that people look at us and, um, as they, you know, chuckle at our differences and they listen to us tell stories about each other and spill the tea about each other and, um, give each other crap that they also recognize that, you know, we, we are 
we are a pair of friends who have committed deeply, not just to this work of liberation in the world, but also to one another and to mm-hmm. the struggles that one another find ourselves within. And right. what that means is that when you need me, I show up. Right. And when I need you, you show up. And yeah. I think that that's always a good reminder, especially for, you know, those of you in the world who are listening, who come from the same kind of privilege that I do. Um, you know, if you are in solidarity with someone who doesn't look like you um, or doesn't worship like you or, or is not of, of the same upbringing as you, um, it is, it is more incumbent on you to show up for them than it is for um, you to ask others to show up for you. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, you talk about, you know, we are two people. I mean, we're really trying to model this work. Right. Um, But both as a, an organization on a team with, with other folks, but, you know, in building the work of activist theology, we believe that it's deeply relational. And so, um, it doesn't happen by itself. Uh, we're deeply shaped by community, by the communities that we're in. And, and both of us are in several different types of communities. Right. And so we're deeply shaped by those communities and also deeply shaped by one another in, in the, in the relational folds in, in, in what we're trying to do with one another. And so, you know, we're really trying to model uh, a kinship, a relationship that we believe is, you know, in the ways of Jesus. And, and, you know, I, I know that there will some people, there will be some people who, who, who don't like some of that more spiritual or religious language, but, you know, I want to look to our ancestors, Gandhi, Jesus, Muhammad. I want to look to these people because they, they had an orientation around meaning making and they had an orientation around what they thought freedom and liberation would look like. Uh, in terms, you know, my tradition being Christianity, I can think about Jesus and some about Gandhi. Um, but, but, you know, Jesus, you know, was trying to get free from the empire. And we live in a world right now that is part of the U.S. expansion of empire. And I think that Anna and I are trying to model a different way to be in the world. And we have to swim in the same water of capitalism and supremacy culture. But if we can be different with one another, then that will shape how our social practices that will, that will shape how we show up in the world. And we really take that very seriously. We, yeah. we believe that that is the work of activist theology. And, and if we can do it well with one another, then we believe that we can build the, the runway and, and a larger community where other, we can invite other people in to, to be doing that work. I love it. I love it. I can't believe we're doing this. We're doing it. We're doing it. We are. So I, so should we, should we let people know that, um, part of this work is, is really casting a new narrative, which, which we believe is fueled, um, not just by activism, but, 
by analysis and, and the work of critical thinking, thinking about things from multiple sides, really creating and developing an analysis around current issues. Do you want to, do you want to talk a little bit about that? You don't want to talk about that, but I'll talk about that. Um, uh, I, you know, I think that one of the things that I, that I, um, that I discovered is that the Academy is a place of self-perpetuating elitism Uh. and, and the streets is the place where people are talking about their, um, their losses. People are talking about how disconnected they are from, from making meaning and, 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 they're talking about how they don't feel valued or worthy. And I felt like the Academy was committed to theory, but not committed to praxis. And so that's why my first book was storytelling and a deep translation of theory to praxis, because I really feel like if we're going to talk about meaning making and theology and ethics, Theology, it, it has got to be grounded in story. And so I think that's why conversation is so important to me and why you and I have such a great conversation is because we know, we know what it takes, um, to make a difference. Uh, you as a pastor in, in the lives of those who you're pastoring and me with students in, in the classroom. And, and so we really believe that, that central to this podcast is helping people have an analysis. And so we're going to talk about things like economic justice, climate change, supremacy culture, but we just don't want to throw around terms or phrases without helping people unpack those terms and phrases. And we believe that this will help people have an analysis about right. what's happening in the world. Right. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, we joke all the time, Robin and I do that. Um, there are often times where Robin's very brilliant academic brain will say something. Um, and I will look at them and say, you know, can you say that again? But as if you're talking to a fifth grader, um, because they have such a brilliant way of framing um, concept in their head, um, but but there are there are times where I don't understand what it is they're trying to say, and so I often um, will ask for um, a definition, some clarity, some you know a, a way in which that narrative is used in the world, so that I can help understand or or help to imagine what it is that we're trying to achieve. Um, and so that's the kind of thing that we want to be able to do with those of you that are listening to us. Uh, we want to take this blend of um, praxis and narrative um, and, 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 and knit them together in ways that both inform the work that you do in the world, but also, set you up to be able to have these deep, um, important conversations with the people that you're working alongside. Um, if we aren't able to give 
analysis uh, to these conversations, then all you will be and all you will take with you is a talking point. And I mean, hell, you can get that on, you know, NPR or your favorite cable news channel or right. uh, out of any, any, you know, random blog post you read on the internet. And so I, I, I love the fact that we're gonna, you know, we want to break this down in some ways so that there is both, um, the analysis and then the narrative that goes with it so that we can, um, you know, figure out the best way to do this hard work in the world. Yeah. And, and, you know, now that we're, you know, we're in 2020 and it's an election season God help and, and, you know, I know that we're both keeping up with the presidential hopefuls, but, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do is see who wants to come on to talk about their presidential campaign. Yeah. And, and we've got several asks out to, those who are running for president, um, some of them may be a surprise to you that who we who we get on. So we really want you to subscribe and follow us because we've got some really good stuff in the works and, you know, folks who are trying to make a difference in the world. And we know that it takes a diversity of tactics. It's going to take this podcast and everybody else's podcast. I mean, I never thought that I would be starting a podcast because that's the last thing I wanted to be doing is, is adding another voice to the already cacophony of voices. But we really believe that our work is, um, rooted in helping folks be educated on the issues and, and being able to then share the story with, with their loved ones, with their communities and basically teaching people, helping people get their hands dirty. I love it. I'm so excited to do this work with you. I hope that folks will uh, subscribe and listen and um, we'll be back again next week to uh, share uh, some more uh, stuff with you. And I like, I, I'm just, I'm so like, I just have all of these fields inside me right now. Yeah. I'm so excited and I'm so pleased that, um, that the work that we know to be important in our own lives is, um, is going to be able to be shared with others so that they can then also feel the same kind of goodness that we feel just makes me freaking happy. And I think maybe, maybe one of the last things that, that we want to say is that we're not doing this podcast with, through Patreon. We're not, no. we're not creating, um, Patreon. I mean, we are inviting folks to consider giving. Uh, and I'm so grateful that my chiropractor, Dr. Jamie Berline is supporting this podcast, the editing of it. She's giving every month and, and with her gift, it will support a week of editing. And so we really want people to be engaged in the work, but you know, the, everybody's trying to commodify their work through Patreon and other subscription services. And I just kind of felt like we had enough subscription services and, 
you know, Patreon requires folks to create a lot of different types of content and the activist theology project is creating content and we're really trying to drive our support in, in creating social good and doing social work healing. And we really want to drive um, our, if you, if you want to subscribe to our content, we really want to do it through the organization to support the holistic work that we're doing, which is about embodiment, which is about meaningful meaning making, um, which is part of what this is and, and some of the public theology work that we're doing too. And so we're not doing this through Patreon, which might surprise a lot of people, but that's the nature of art and meaning making is, is doing it, making it up as you go, doing it your own way and whatnot. But I did want to give a shout out to Dr. Jamie Berline. She's been amazing. She supports my work every chance she gets. And it's just really great to have a, a, a fellow trans person supporting the work of social healing and building the discourse of activist theology. I couldn't do it without um, my community. That's great. That's beautiful. And I'm, I'm thrilled that there are folks that are already interested in supporting us. If you are interested in supporting us, we'll, we'll share the, the URL where you can find us at the end of this episode. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and plug it here really quick. You can find us at www.activisttheology.com. And remember, activist and theology share a T. So it's A-C-T-I-V-S-T. H-E-O-L-O-G-Y. And you can, on that website, you'll be able to find the ways that you can support this work, whether it's through supporting the podcast or supporting the other work that ATP is doing in the world. And I guess with that, Robin, we will say, see you next week. We did it. Week one is done. We did it. We'll see y'all next week. Bye-bye. All right. Bye, y'all. Are you looking to connect the dots between what you think and how we live? Are you looking for a more robust way to be in solidarity with the movement? Are you looking to get your hands dirty with the work of social justice? Join Dr. Robin and Reverend Anna Galladay each week as they share, reflect, and analyze on pressing social concerns. Want to help support the podcast? Go to activisttheology.kindful.com and click on podcast. And remember, activist and theology share a T. The music you hear in this episode is Hands Dirty by Delta Ray, our friends. Our sound editor and audio engineer is Dan Medley from 10 South Sounds. Hands dirty.